0: You're listening to the Metamore City podcast episode 7 for December 16th 2007 warning today's story contains sexual situations explicit language violence and disturbing imagery it's not suitable for children listener discretion is advised Metamore City a podcast series created by Chris Lester for more information, please visit www.metamorecity.com. Hello, ladies and gents, and welcome to another episode of the Metamore City Podcast. I am your host, Chris Lester, and I am not going to talk along today because this episode is packed full of story. It's part two of Troubled Minds, so let's jump straight into it. Here is the story so far. Nineteen-year-old Abby Preston has come to St. Teresa's School and Halfway House, a home for wayward girls located on street level in Metamore City. Abby has been plagued by disturbing visions of terror and death, which she hoped to cure by coming to St. Teresa's. But the school has problems of its own. Students at the school have been committing suicide at an alarming rate. Clearly, Abby is not the only one who isn't resting easy. Abby quickly makes friends with Jenna Hartman, a 17-year-old orphan who has lived at the school for most of her life. While Jenna looks like a tiefling, a person who is part human and part Daedra, she reveals her secret to Abby. She is in fact a full-blooded succubus, and she has been feeding on the sexual energy of her fellow students to survive. Abby, in turn, reveals a secret of her own. She is a telepath, and her visions are much more than just hallucinations. Abby speaks to the shade of Trisha, one of the three girls who killed themselves. Trisha tells Abby that she did it to get away from bad dreams. Abby soon learns what this means when she encounters a nightmarish creature stalking the dream plane inside the school. She sees a vision of the monster seizing another girl, tearing open her belly to play with her intestines. That night, Abby goes hunting for the monster in her dreams, using her telepathic powers to step out of her body. And explore the school. She finds the monster outside Jenna's room, where the succubus has started a small orgy in order to feed. Abby attacks the monster, but her psychic blasts seem useless against it. The monster counterattacks by hitting Abby with a terrifying vision of the darkest moment of her life, when her boyfriend Victor attacked her, killing their unborn child and leaving her for dead. Abby falls to the floor, overwhelmed with grief. The monster tells her, You are not yet ripe, little one, but soon your time will come. Tonight, I dine elsewhere. Abby can do nothing. She simply lies there, helpless, and weeps. She woke in a start, body drenched in a cold sweat, heart pounding. She nearly hit her head on the bunk above her as she sat up.
1: Hey, you alright?
0: She doubled over, one hand clutching her chest, the other going reflexively to the scars on her stomach. She focused on taking deep, slow breaths, letting the tension drain out of her. Jenna was kneeling beside her bed a moment later.
1: Hey, Abby, you alright?
0: She asked again, her voice filled with obvious concern. Abby just closed her eyes and shook her head. As the immediate panic faded away, barriers of control crumbled, and a torrent of emotion spilled out in its wake. She tipped over on the bed and curled up into a ball, tears coming in heavy, racking sobs as freshly remembered grief consumed her.
2: "'My baby,'
0: she cried.
2: "'My baby!' "'Hey, hey, hey, hey,
1: Abby.'
0: Abby felt arms wrapping around her, but she was sunk too deeply into her own misery to think about the implications. She responded instinctively, reaching out for comfort, clutching tightly at the warm, slender body that had drawn near to her own. She felt skin touch skin, heard Jenna gasp, and then her mind was there alongside Abby's, seeing the source of her pain and grief in an instant. Abby felt Jenna's surge of hatred toward Victor for what he had done, her terror at the thing Abby had confronted in her dream, and her deep sorrow and compassion for Abby upon seeing all that she had lost. Abby felt Jenna's mind reach out to her own, offering strength and comfort, clumsily since she had no inherent skill at telepathy, and Abby gratefully accepted. Abby's grief and pain were spread between them both, diluted, as a measure of Jenna's vitality and raw stubbornness flowed into Abby. They began to drift closer, long-term memories and essential natures opening up to one another, but Abby exerted her will and drew back before the connection could become too deep. Jenna had no defenses, no training. They would lose themselves in each other entirely, lose the distinction between self and other, unless Abby deliberately took steps to prevent it. A skilled telepath could disentangle herself after such a union, but a mundane would never escape it never regain her own personality so she pulled away throwing up her mental shield and with another effort of will forced her body to separate from Jenna's breaking the contact Jenna sat back on her heels, stunned whoa Abby rubbed at her eyes wiping away sleep sand that had mingled with tears she managed a little smile
2: I told you it was dangerous
0: Jenna looked up at her And Abby saw tears running down her face as well.
1: Maybe, but. Damn. Abby, I had no idea what Victor did to you, to your baby.
2: I know. I thought I worked through it, but.
0: She shook her head.
2: Since I came here, it's like it keeps coming back to me, like that monster is taunting me with
1: it. What was that thing?
2: I'm not sure. Some kind of ethereal creature, probably escaped from the dreamlands. I think it feeds on emotions, drains them out of the person.
1: Like me,
0: Jenna whispered.
2: No, not like you. You use emotions as a conduit to feed off a person's life force, but you don't actually drain the emotions out of them. I think this thing actually strips away a person's capacity to feel. My guess is that it gets into their heads while they sleep, replays the darkest moments in their lives over and over again as it feeds off the anger and hatred and pain. Each time the person gets a little number, can feel less and less until there's nothing left in them but despair. I spoke to Tricia in the shower last night.
1: Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. you spoke to Tricia?
2: Yes, well, shade of her anyway. It's sort of a psychic imprint that people sometimes leave behind when they die, like an echo of themselves. Anyway, she told me that she had been having bad dreams before she died, and she sensed something here in the school, that creature I saw. She couldn't really see it in her dreams, though, so I think the fact that I can may have something to do with my being a telepath. Whatever it is, it looks like it's made a home here, and it's feeding off the pain of the students.
1: "'Holy shit! But why to come here? There's no shortage of pain or suffering on the street.'"
0: Abby grimaced.
1: "'Honestly, I'm guessing it was drawn here by your feeding.
2: The sheer amount of energy you've got in motion in this place, with the little sexual revolutions you fostered among the students.'"
0: She shrugged sadly.
2: "'It's like a big neon sign outside a restaurant, or moths being drawn to a flame.'"
0: Jenna drew back, horrified. Oh my god. She whispered, putting a hand to her mouth.
1: Oh, I never meant to hurt anybody. I didn't know. Hey, hey.
0: Abby said, putting her hand on Jenna's shoulder and being careful not to touch skin.
2: Don't blame yourself for this. Like you said, you're just doing what you have to to survive. There's no way you could have known it would attract something like that. The bastard with the claws is the one who killed your friends, not you.
0: Jenna took a deep breath and nodded. I know, she said, as if to convince herself. I know. She paused and frowned as if a thought had struck her.
1: Why do you suppose it couldn't touch us last night?
0: Abby had been thinking about that one, too.
1: Two reasons, I think.
2: You were awake, and the emotions were too intense. It's like fire. The warmth is good, but too close or too hot, and it burns you. Maybe going through your dreams acts like some kind of insulation for it, letting it feed on strong emotions safely. If it is from the dreamlands, its powers would naturally work better on the dream plane. It probably was drawn here by what you were doing, found out it couldn't use that energy, and then turned to feeding on the girls after they fell asleep.
1: I'll take your word for it. This is too weird for me. So, where did it go after it left you last night? I'm not sure, Abby said. I?
0: She stopped. A mental image suddenly flooded back to her from the previous evening.
2: Oh, shit,
0: she said, then scrambled out of the bed and out the door, Jenna two steps behind her. There was a crowd of people gathered in the common area. Students, sisters, and a few employees Abby hadn't met yet. Many of the girls were sitting on the floor, sobbing, and some of them had thrown up. Abby pushed through the door, planting forceful suggestions in people's minds to let her pass, until she stood in front of the window. Mother Anna was leaning against the wall, her expression haunted.
2: What's happened?
0: Abby asked, in a voice that brooked no argument. Mother Anna didn't even seem to notice her impertinent tone.
2: Clarice,
0: she said, the words coming slowly and with obvious difficulty.
3: We found an open window up near the roof wasn't even supposed to be up there,
0: she added, almost as an aside.
3: "You think she... oh, Eli.
0: She put a handkerchief to her eyes and fell silent. Abby leaned forward and looked out the window. Clarice's body was impaled on the wrought iron fence, which seemed to have hit her squarely across the abdomen. A pool of blood lay on the grass and pavement beneath her, and her entrails dangled loosely over the fence, spilling from her ruptured body. Abby closed her eyes and turned away from the window. Evidently, Clarice hadn't paid much attention to where she was jumping. Abby couldn't imagine that someone would choose a death like that deliberately. Jenna was beside her a moment later, nearly vomiting when she saw the scene below. Abby felt her pressed-down revulsion with raw, seething anger.
1: I want the bastard who did this.
0: Jenna whispered fiercely in Abby's ear as she took her by the shoulder and led her away from the rest of the crowd.
1: Tell me what I can do to help.
0: Abby shook her head weakly.
1: I don't know. Even I couldn't
2: stop him. And I could see him coming. Hell, he showed me what he was going to do and I couldn't
1: stop it. We'll find a way,
0: Jenna insisted. Damn it, we've got
1: to. I'm not going to let anyone else get killed because of me.
0: She must have noticed Abby's expression because she squeezed her shoulder a bit harder and gave her a shake.
1: Hey, come on. We've got all day, right? He can't get us unless we're sleeping.
2: That's true,
0: Abby admitted.
2: The only problem is, I'm not sure we can get to him unless we're sleeping either.
0: The mood among the students was understandably subdued that morning, and the activities Jenna had anticipated in the showers failed to materialize. She looked fidgety and uncomfortable at breakfast, and Abby wondered if that was because she'd missed her meal. Of course, to be fair, many of the other girls were also looking uncomfortable at the sight of food after the grisly scene that morning. The morning service had been cancelled, A pair of MCPD detectives showed up and used the time to talk to witnesses while the forensics team investigated the body and its surroundings. In this case, the definition of witness seemed to include anybody who had been in or around the school in the last 24 hours. Abby was starting to work out what she should tell them once they finally got to questioning her when one of the agents received a phone call. He didn't look happy at the news, whatever it was, and he and his partner left soon after. Abby deliberately kept out of his head. Scanning police officers wasn't generally a good way to promote friendly relations with mundane's. It was Saturday, and that meant chores in place of classes. Just as well, since it was unlikely anyone would have been able to focus on the lesson. After breakfast, Abby found herself working in the gardens alongside Mother Anna, pulling weeds while the older woman pruned the hedges. Both of them stayed far away from the side of the building where Clarice had died. Up topside, it was a bright and cloudless day, and even down here at street level, the occasional sliver of sunlight found its way through the forest of concrete and steel above them. The overall gloom was no worse than that of an overcast day anywhere else. The photosensitive lamps hanging from the skyways had even turned off for the day. The early September air was cool, but comfortably so, and Mother Anna had stripped down to a short-sleeved shirt and khaki work pants.
3: I find that being out here helps me when my spirit is troubled,
0: Anna was saying.
3: It's a kind of meditation in the work. Doing my little part to guide and shape Eli's creation. Cutting out diseased branches or the shoots that turn wild and grow away from the body. In a way, it's something of a metaphor for the work we do here at the
2: school.
0: Abby leaned over to squint at a tiny plant, decided it was a weed, and carefully pulled it out of the soil.
2: Mother Anna, did you know Clarice very well?
0: She could sense Anna's frown without even having to look at her.
3: As well as any of us did, I suppose. She'd not been with us long.
2: Four months, I believe. Did she ever say anything that made you think she might... do this?
0: Abby asked.
2: Something that might have indicated she was getting worse?
0: Anna reached into a hedge to pinch off a small shoot with her fingers before answering.
3: Many of our girls fight long battles against depression. At times it gets better, times worse. Clarice was not unique in that respect.
0: Abby nodded.
2: Did she ever mention having bad dreams? She ventured. Abby, dear, I'm sorry.
0: Anna said, coming over and putting a hand on her shoulder.
3: I know you're trying to make sense of this, like all the rest of us, but sometimes there is no sense to be made. Clarice was a hurt and frightened girl. We tried to reach out to her, try to help her, but we can only do so much. I love Clarice and will miss her terribly. But in the end, she made a choice, despite all our efforts to provide her with other positive options.
0: She smiled sadly.
3: She fell into the lie of the easy way out. Her choice wasn't rational. But sometimes humans are not very rational creatures.
2: But did she ever say anything about
3: bad dreams?
0: Abby persisted.
3: Even if she did, that would be confidential between her and the sister who counseled her.
0: Anna explained gently.
3: Why do you ask,
2: dear? What's really troubling you?
0: Abby debated how much to tell her.
2: Since I've got here, I've been having flashbacks.
0: She said at last, the words coming slowly.
2: When I was 16, I had an older boyfriend. A lot older. I ran away with him. But then I got pregnant. And I found out he had a temper. A bad one.
0: She rubbed her hands over her arms, trying to force some warmth back into them.
2: I got scared. I left him. Tried to go back to my family. Then he attacked me.
0: And... Her hand strayed back to the scars on her stomach. I see. Anna said gravely.
3: And you've been having nightmares about this?
0: Abby nodded. It was true enough.
2: And sometimes seeing it during the day. Just flashes of it. Have you sat out counseling about this before? Of course. After the attack, I... I had some people who helped me.
0: She avoided mentioning her fellow telepaths in the Psy Collective, who had heard her pain and the death screams of her psionically gifted child. There were some things you just didn't talk about with Mundanes.
2: I thought I'd worked it through. But now it's coming up again. And I...
0: She gestured vaguely with one hand.
2: I just feel so helpless.
0: Mother Anna sat down next to her on the ground.
2: What happened to the man who attacked you?
0: Abby grimaced.
2: Dead. He had an accident. Fell off a skyway.
0: Another thing that wasn't discussed with Mundanes was the way the Psy Collective dealt with those who hurt one of their own. I see. Anna said again.
3: Well, Abby, if he's dead, then he can't hurt you anymore. Isn't that right?
0: Abby nodded.
3: And you've taken yourself out of the situation that got you in trouble in the first place, right? You've made good choices, learned from your mistakes, and asked for help when you needed it.
0: She nodded again.
3: So what is it you're afraid of? You said you felt helpless, but you're already helping yourself by the choices you're making. And there are many people here who are more than happy to help you. You understand that, right? I
2: understand.
0: Abby said, a bit frustrated. She pulled off her work gloves and reached up to rub her temples.
2: I don't know. Maybe I'm saying it wrong. Maybe helpless isn't exactly right. All right, then.
0: Anna said, nodding.
2: What's a better word for how you're feeling?
0: Abby thought about it.
2: Powerless. Useless. People are dying, and I'm not sure if I can stop it. Abby, please...
0: "'Anna said reprovingly.
3: "'What happened to Clarice was terrible, "'but it was something she did to herself.
2: "'You can't take the burden on yourself for her choices. "'But what if there were something I could do? "'What if I could do something "'that would keep the next person from making that choice, "'like Trisha did, and Maya, and Sanji?'
0: "'Anna's face reflected pain at the sound of the girls' names, "'but her gaze remained steady. "'You
3: just said to yourself that you can't do such a thing,' she said. Why burden yourself over something you could never have done in the first place?
0: Abby clenched her fists.
2: Because I should be able to do it. And I don't understand why I can. I don't understand why I'm so paralyzed. Abby, dear heart,
0: Anna said, putting her hand on Abby's shoulder again.
3: I think I see what the problem is.
0: Abby looked up at her, surprised. You do? The older woman smiled compassionately.
3: You're suffering from what we call survivor's guilt. Your child died, but you lived, and you haven't forgiven yourself for that. No, listen to me,
0: she said sternly as Abby turned away. Reluctantly, she turned back, afraid that Anna might reach for her face and trigger a mind-link if she refused to do so.
3: You're angry at yourself because you couldn't save your baby, and so you try to make up for it by saving everyone else. "'You set impossible standards for yourself "'and then punish yourself "'when you don't measure up to those expectations.'
0: "'Abby nodded. "'A lot of what Mother Anna was saying "'had the uncomfortable ring of truth. "'But she still felt miserable.
2: "'So what am I supposed to do? "'Just sit back and let the world fall into the ninth hell?' "'Of course not. "'If I believe that, would I be here? "'Of
3: course you should try to help others, "'but you can't save the whole world by yourself.'
0: She squeezed Abby's shoulder gently.
3: "'You're a survivor, dear. You came back from a darkness that would destroy most people, by your own courage, by the help of others, and by the grace of Eli. You could be an inspiration to many of the younger girls here, but wisdom comes in knowing when you can do something on your own, and when you need the help of others.'
0: Anna leaned a bit closer, fixing Abby with those intense blue eyes.
3: "'Right now you instinctively know your limits.' But you're refusing to acknowledge them because you wish you could do more. That's why you're afraid. You need to be honest with yourself about what you can really do to help people, and then look to others and their strengths to help you do what you can't do on your own."
0: She smiled slightly, the expression obviously bittersweet.
3: You still won't be able to save everyone, but you'll be able to do much more than you can alone. Respecting your own limits and trusting others to help you will free you to act without fear. As our Lord said, a three-stranded cord is not easily broken.
0: Abby nodded slowly, realization dawning. An idea was taking form in her mind.
2: My God, she murmured. That might work. It's crazy, but it just might work. Language, dear,
0: Anna chided.
2: Sorry, Mother. Mother.
0: "'Abby said, bowing her head briefly.
2: "'And thank you. I think I know now what I have to do.'
3: "'I'm glad to hear it, dear,'
0: Mother Anna said, rising to her feet.
3: "'Just remember that there are others here who are willing to help you.'
0: "'Abby nodded once.
3: "'That's what I'm
2: counting on.'
0: "'For the rest of the morning, Abby was a bundle of nervous energy, "'her mind spinning furiously to work out the details of what had to be done.' None of her own kind were near enough to the school for her to contact, and they wouldn't have been allowed on the grounds in any case. Like it or not, she would have to do this with mundanes. Luckily, she had Jenna. Look to others and their strengths, Mother Anna had said, and that was exactly what she intended to do. If only she could persuade Jenna to do it. You're crazy, Jenna said after they'd met at lunch and Abby explained her plan.
1: You're out of your mind. Probably,
0: Abby agreed.
1: But this can work. It makes sense. In spooky land, maybe. But come on, Abs, Clarice is dead. She jumped out a window and impaled herself on a fucking fence. Nobody's going to want to party tonight. I
2: realize it,
1: but...
0: She leaned forward across the table and dropped her voice to a conspiratorial whisper.
2: You're a sucky, Jenna. You can make them want to do it.
0: Jenna's face went pale.
1: Oh, hell no. No, no, Abs, do not go that way. I don't mind listening people up now and then, but what you're talking about, that's some seriously dark shit. I go fucking with people's heads like that, the Libby's will have my ass for breakfast. Let me worry about the Lightbringers,
0: Abby assured her.
1: Easy for you to say. Spookies get equal rights and all that, they find out I've been doing what you're talking about, they won't need a jury to put me down.
0: She lowered her head and closed her eyes for a moment. When she looked back up, they were haunted.
1: Besides, even if I could get away with it, I don't know that I'd want to. I've spent the last five years trying to convince myself that I can be what I am and not be evil. I don't know if Eli let suckies into heaven, but I've been trying to do everything I can to convince him I'm on his side.
0: She shook her head.
1: If I do this, I'm scared he'll decide I'm just another demon. What's worse, I'm scared I might enjoy it.
0: Silence hung across the table for a moment.
1: I understand what you're saying, Jenna.
0: Abby said quietly.
2: But if we don't stop this thing, more people are going to die. The Libby's can't fix this. I don't think anyone can see this thing who's not a teep. If we can draw it out, I can hurt it. But not without help from you and a whole lot of other people. If you do this, you'll be helping to save these girls. You've said it yourself. You don't hurt people if you can help it. You won't have to hurt them here, either. And anything you do to their heads will be temporary. I can make sure of that, even if you can't."
0: She reached over and gently squeezed Jenna's upper arm, careful to keep her hand on the shirt sleeve.
2: Don't you think Eli will be glad that you're helping to save lives? At a great risk to yourself? Isn't self-sacrifice his whole
1: deal?
0: Jenna smirked humorlessly.
1: (laughs) So you're saying I can be self-sacrificing by doing something totally selfish? Exactly.
0: The other girl snorted, and this time Abby saw a little amusement in her eyes.
1: (laughs) You know, that's such a brilliant argument, I can't believe the bad guys haven't thought of it yet.
2: Yeah, well,
1: they're not known for their creativity.
0: Abby said wryly.
1: How about it? Will you help me?
0: Jenna sighed heavily and nodded.
1: All right, but you better back me up if the man upstairs sends someone looking for me.
0: Abby grinned.
1: You've got it. Now come on,
2: we've got a monster's ass to kick, and your boot's going to be the first in line.
0: They spent the rest of the day, between chores and afternoon service, passing the word to the other students. There was going to be a big, important meeting tonight in the TV room. They had to be there, and they weren't to say a word about it. They allowed the rumor to spread that they had a special memorial of some kind planned for Clarice. Abby spent what time she had left hunting down every sister she could find and placing some very clear instructions inside their heads. Come evening, Abby took her pillow and laid down on one of the couches in the TV room, as soon as they had verified that all of the staff had fallen asleep, per Abby's suggestions. At first, she was tense and nervous, but she closed her eyes and ran through the meditative exercises that she had been taught, willing herself into a relaxed, passive state. She kept hold of a few threads of self-awareness, just enough to ensure that she would remain lucid, and then she let herself fall into sleep. When the dreaming began, she sat up and looked around. The room looked much as it had last night a chamber made out of bones with a carpet of soft flesh beneath. She rose from the couch, stepping out of her body, and watched as Jenna began to gather the students. A bright collection of human and near human auras began to fill up the room, many of them making passing glances at Abby's sleeping form on the couch. Fortunately, Abby was trained enough in lucid dreaming not to be easily awakened if she didn't want to be. Soon, nearly every student in the school was gathered there, sitting on chairs, couches, and a large amount of floor space, more than 40 young women, with Jenna standing in the middle. They filled the room to capacity and stretched beyond it to fill the hallway for a good distance to either side. Abby noted with relief that the few girls under 13 and those who were in the late stages of pregnancy did not make an appearance. Abby and Jenna had decided that they were off-limits for their own protection, and Abby had given each of them a strong compulsion to go to sleep early. She was just glad to see that none of them had resisted her instructions. Abby spoke, projecting her thoughts so that all the assembled students could hear her.
2: Listen up, ladies. This is Abby. I'm in a lucid dream right now, and you can hear me because I'm a telepath. You'll forget all about that when this is over, though, so don't worry about it. Jen and I called you here because we found out why our friends keep dying. I don't want any of you to panic, but you need to know this. There's a monster from the Dreamlands that has decided to make a nest here, and it's been feeding on your emotions while we sleep. That's why some of you keep having nightmares. The good news is, I figured out how I can kill it, but to do it, I'm going to need all of you to help me.
0: She paused, giving the students a chance to assimilate everything. Many of the girls turned and began whispering among themselves, clearly unsettled at the voice that had appeared in their heads. At the same time, Abby sent a mental whisper to Jenna. As she watched, the succubus began to radiate supernatural energies, smoky red tendrils that reached out from her aura and began to touch the minds and hearts of everyone present. Once the connections were made, Jenna began sending energy through the links, changing thought patterns and orientations, recalibrating moral compasses, stripping away what little remained of the girls' inhibitions. Abby saw each young mind transmute itself into a reflection of the succubus, some of them readily and with little alteration, others with so much bending and twisting that what resulted bore little resemblance to what the girls' minds had once been. Abby's speech had been carefully timed. She'd given them enough new information to ensure that they'd still be talking about it by the time Jenna had taken hold of them. The process was both swift and so gradual that the young women had not even noticed what was happening to them. Abby waited for Jenna to nod. Jenna couldn't see her dream self, but the signal had been prearranged, and then resumed speaking.
2: The thing feeds on emotion. It's drawn by it, so we're going to create a little lure for it and then we're going to waste it. So listen carefully. I want you to do whatever Jenna tells you to do, but when I give you the signal, you all grab hold of each other's hands or whatever other skin is close at hand and make sure that at least one of you grabs my hand over there on the couch. That's critical, okay?"
0: She waited for the somewhat puzzled nods of acknowledgement. Even now, many of the girls were absently touching themselves or tugging at their clothing but they all seemed to have enough presence of mind to hear and remember Abby's instructions. Of course, the suggestion she implanted along with the words probably had something to do with that.
2: Okay, cool. Jenna, go for it.
0: Jenna opened her eyes to slits, and in Abby's dream vision they burned like hot coals. You heard the lady, she said, bringing her hands together in a loud clap.
1: All right, girls, let's get naked. This is an all-you-can-eat pussy buffet, and everyone's invited.
0: The response was immediate. Like dogs being released from a leash, nearly 50 teenage girls shucked off their clothing and threw themselves on each other with reckless abandon. Driven into a state of near-mindless desire by Jenna's manipulations, the crowd evolved in seconds into an orgy of almost unimaginable proportions. Torrid red emotions swirled and became a firestorm, nearly blinding Abby with their intensity. In less than two minutes, Jenna had regained all the considerable energy that she had invested in priming this pump, and was even beginning to amass a tidy surplus. Abby shifted her dream self out into the hallway, beyond the range of the frantic activity, and began watching for the creature to appear. She didn't have long to wait. The amount of emotional energy circulating in the area was easily ten times what she had seen last night. It lumbered out of the shadows, its long arms nearly dragging against the ground, knife-like hands flexing and sharpening their blades against one another. It came toward the orgy like a moth to a flame, yellow eyes wide in a mixture of astonishment, childlike delight, and ravenous hunger, its jaws slathered with anticipation tongue lolling out between nightmare teeth. It didn't seem to even notice Abby's dream form standing up against the wall. Abby had heard before that most natives of the dreamlands lacked the capacity to change their essential natures, and regardless of their intelligence, they would not retain learning or experience for very long. Seeing this creature now, she was inclined to believe it. It had seen just last night that it could not feed from the girls' emotions while they were awake and yet here it was again, about to attempt the same thing. Abby wasn't about to spoil the surprise, though, so she stepped in front of the creature before it could try to reach out and feed off of one of the other students. It drew back more from surprise than anything. Abby planted her feet, crossed her arms, and glared up at it in defiance.
2: See something you like, big guy?
0: The creature cocked its head and stared at her a puzzled expression that soon became a glower of menace. Out of my way, little one. I see your mind and your tears within you to make you power on the Maybe, Abby said easily,
2: maybe not. Either way, you're not invited to this party.
0: She knew what was coming next and opened her arms wide to receive it. The creature seized her memories and thrust them back at her in fresh, vivid color showing her once again how Victor had murdered their child, and nearly killed her too. Abby accepted the pain of the memories, acknowledged it, and received it as her own. But she refused to accept blame for them, as she had before.
2: I am alive,
0: she told herself, as the scene washed over her once more.
2: I was hurt. My daughter was taken from me. The man I had loved betrayed me. But I am not to blame, and I am not a victim. I cannot change the past, and I will not live in it. By fate's hands or Eli's will, I have been spared. And it is a gift I will not squander.
0: When the scene faded, Abby was still standing. The pain was every bit as real as it had been before, but this time she had redirected its momentum like a combat throw. And while she had still been touched, she had not been broken. She lifted her head and sneered at the beast.
2: Is that the best you can do?"
0: The beast blinked twice, seemingly amazed. How is this
2: possible? It's called dealing, dumbass,
0: Abby snarled.
2: Every once in a while, we figure it out.
0: The monster's thin lips curled back and it roared, then swiped at Abby with its murderous claws. The telepath shifted her dream form back out of reach. As a thought projection, rather than a creature whose very existence was ethereal, Abby had the advantage in terms of maneuverability. Still, the monster was fast, and she didn't want to give it a second chance.
2: "'Everybody!'
0: she shouted, stretching out to the minds of the young women behind her.
2: "'Now!'
0: For all their obvious preoccupation, the girls remembered Abby's implanted instructions. Instantly, a chain of skin-to-skin contacts was formed— ending with three different hands grasping firmly to Abby's own sleeping form. Instantly, she felt the surge of the entire group's out-of-control emotions run into her like a live wire. If she let them linger too long in her mind, the backlash would destroy her sense of identity, and probably leave the entire group as a single, lust-driven consciousness. Fortunately, Abby had another place for the live wire to go to ground channeling the emotional energies from her body into her dream form, she shifted herself forward into one side and grabbed hold of one of the creature's massive arms. As she suspected, the beast was an emotion sink and could no more refuse the energies she gave it than a black hole could reject a piece of matter. Of course, the thing about black holes was that if one swallowed too much matter too quickly, it would lose its ability to hold itself together, and the entire thing would simply disintegrate. The analogy proved to be an apt one. The creature screamed, a blood-curdling shriek like a thousand nails on a thousand chalkboards, as its shadow flesh erupted in fire at the point where her dream hands touched it. Abby kept the emotional energy current flowing, siphoning off the maddened lust of the orgy and shunting it directly into the beast. The monster began to glow from within, like a bright light behind a very thin lampshade, until the flesh was consumed from the inside out and swirled away in a cloud of steam. The thing's skeleton lingered a moment longer, and then it too was destroyed, the bones charring and warping in a sheath of flames before finally crumbling to ashes.
2: Okay, okay, let go, let go, let go!
0: Abby yelped, mind and body still surging with power. The girls obeyed. The connection broke and Abby let the dream fall away. Abby opened her eyes and sat up, looking out over the room full of students. Their trap for the beast had dispelled most of the ardor Jenna had so expertly initiated, and most of them were simply lying there in contented piles, pleasantly numb. Here and there, a pocket of young women were still kissing and caressing each other lightly, but there was no real urgency in it. Jenna was lying atop a throne of bodies, so thoroughly gorged with energy that her eyes were glowing in the dim light. She looked up at Abby and smiled dreamily. Oh, oh, baby. A girl could get used to this.
2: Remember, you want to stay one of the good guys,
0: Abby said firmly.
2: This was necessary. This time. But don't let it control you.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know. Mm, I'm going to have bald own hangover from this tomorrow. But for now,
0: feels good. Abby smiled.
2: Well, enjoy it then. We beat the bad guy. The killing stops here.
0: Yippee, Jenna said. She turned her head left and right, casting her eyes lazily around the room.
1: Hear that, girls? No more bad
0: dreams. A tired cheer rose up from the group. Okay, Jenna said, lifting herself halfway up and gesturing drunkenly with one arm.
1: Everybody no longer having sex. Go to bed. Everybody else, get your asses over here and share with the rest of us.
0: As the group began to break up, Jenna rose unsteadily to her feet and tottered over to Abby. She placed her hands on the telepath's nightshirt-covered chest and leaned forward, grinning seductively could you she purred idly pawing at Abby's breasts
1: did all the hard work for us i saw you know for an instant when we all touched i could see it think we all could saw you kill it for us
0: she leaned a little closer her breath tickling Abby's ear
1: least you deserve is to share in some of the fun
0: Abby could feel herself growing hot and damp, even more so than she already had been, considering that she'd just been the lightning rod for the largest amount of lustful passion that she'd ever personally seen gathered in one place. She could feel herself weighing options, rationalizing, thinking that it would really be all right just this once. She laughed, recognizing it suddenly for what it was, and raising a telepathic shield to deflect it. <laughs>
2: You were chipping away at my inhibitions just now, weren't you?
1: Guilty,
0: Jenna said huskily.
1: I'm a bad, bad girl. Wanna punish me? (sighs) Make me squeal?
0: (laughs) Abby put her hand on Jenna's sternum and gently pushed away.
2: I'm flattered,
0: she said, smiling.
2: But I can't. When teeps make love, we lose all sense of control. What I told you before about no more me... No more you. That was real. And afterward, we pick up all the pieces of ourselves that got jumbled together and put them back in our own skulls. But one teep can't do it for two people. If I let go with you,
1: we'd be stuck in each other's heads forever.
0: Jenna stuck out her bottom lip in a mock pout.
1: It doesn't sound so bad.
0: Abby felt her smile become touched with a bit of sorrow.
2: You're only saying that because you don't understand it.
0: She said gently
2: and I'm afraid you never will.
0: She stepped back, retrieved her pillow from the couch, and stepped over and around the remaining bodies to the hallway. She turned toward Jenna and gestured at her surroundings, where even now eight eager participants were converging on the succubus.
2: Besides, you've got plenty of company, and I've never been too good with
0: crowds. She smiled.
2: Good night, Jenna. Night abs.
1: Big
0: spoil sport. Jenna slurred as Abby turned and began walking back to her room.
1: Just go on, go to bed. Damn spookies and they're too good for us, don't they, girls? Well, peachy fucking keen for them. I got all I need right here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Sarah, love. A little to the... Oh, oh. (laughs) Yeah, baby. Oh, that's the spot. Hey, Spooky. Forget you good for us, because I, I, I got unfucking believable (laughs) All right. Oh, God damn, woman.
0: Abby just shook her head, grinned, and kept on walking, Apparently, dreamland beasts weren't the only creatures who never changed their essential natures. Abby removed her hand from the man's forehead, breaking the link, and then put it back into the deep pockets of her coat. It was still early morning, and the air was cold. The man opened his eyes, and for a moment they shone with blue light before settling back into their usual mundane appearance. He blinked a few times, brushed a lock of his short, white blond hair out of his face, then nodded. "'Well, then,' he said, his baritone voice falling somewhere between the clipped accent of the upper levels and the mild drawl of the middle class. "'It would appear that everything is in order.' He reached into the inside pocket of his black suit jacket and pulled out a pair of equally black sunglasses, putting them on in one smooth, practiced motion. "'Superb work as usual, Miss Preston.' I knew you were the right person for this job. Thank you, sir, Abby said, bowing briefly.
2: I'm glad I was able to help. Though, if possible, sir, I'd ask that you not call me with any more jobs like this for a while.
0: She looked down at her feet, then back up again.
2: They're a little hard on the psyche.
0: As you wish, the man said, straightening his tie, also black, though in the middle of it there was a gold tie tack in the shape of a twin cross. You know how to contact us when you're ready to work again. In the meantime, the agreed-upon sum of fifty thousand will be deposited in the collective's numbered account, contingent upon your guarantee of silence regarding the entire affair.
2: It won't leave the collective. on one condition.
0: The corner of the man's lip twitched slightly. Yes? Abby crossed her arms. Jenna. She said.
2: The succubus. I don't want you bothering her, Janus. You and the rest of the Lathanasi, leave her alone.
0: Janus paused a moment, as if considering, then nodded once. Very well, agreed. Her actions, though dubious, were taken pursuant to our objectives, provided that henceforth she abides by our usual understanding with her people, I give you my word that no harm shall come to her on our account. His lip twitched again, though you might advise her to keep us surprise of her movements. Officially, the law considers her a tiefling, with the legal rights common to all mortals. At the moment, I see no reason for that to change. I trust that she will not give us one.
2: Yeah, me too,
0: Abby said. Very well, then. We are agreed. The fifty thousand will be deposited by the end of the day. He bowed. Good day, Miss Preston.
2: Good day, Janus,
0: Abby said, bowing in turn. They turned and went their separate ways, to two skimmers parked on opposite sides of the public square. Abby felt a wave of warmth and love radiating from the vehicle as she approached it, and she smiled and sent the same in return. She opened the door and climbed into the back seat, touching hands briefly with the other three occupants.
3: Agent Starson is satisfied?
0: Fiona asked, eyebrows raised slightly. No speech was used. None was needed. He is, Abby confirmed, as Brian pulled the skimmer away from the curb and merged into traffic.
2: The money's on its way. I don't think food's going to be a problem this month. The libs are sure anxious to keep this under wraps,
0: Rebecca said thoughtfully.
2: I wonder if they're worried about the reaction when people find out that there are things coming across that only teeps can handle. It would tend to shatter their all-powerful image,
0: Abby admitted.
2: Of course, now that they know what they're up against. They could probably hand the job off to Nocturna's dreamwalkers. But you're right. I don't think they could have figured out what it was without us.
0: Imagine that, a need for spookies, Brian said dryly. Next thing you know, they're going to be demanding the right to breed and own property. As the three women chuckled, he caught Abby's gaze in the rearview mirror. Hey, brown-eyed girl, you ready to go home? Abby smiled.
2: Almost. Just a couple more stops
0: first. Abby stood before a small white gravestone, under the cover of maple trees whose leaves were just beginning to turn. To either side of her were her three companions, adopted siblings, lovers, friends, and they stayed close and held hands as she knelt and laid a bouquet of flowers before the stone. She traced her finger over the letters. Darla Irene Preston. Stillborn. 1995. CR. Someday she said, smiling through her tears.
2: We will see each other again, we'll hug and we'll laugh, and I'll see what a big, beautiful girl you've become while the angels raised you for me, I can't wait for that day.
0: She looked up, paused, felt the encouragement the others were sending her, then looked back down again.
2: I'm sorry I never got the chance to hold you, I'm sorry I never felt your mouth on my breast, or heard your first word, or rocked you to sleep at night with a lullaby.
0: She sniffed.
2: I'm sorry you never got to look out from the top of the citadel, or dip your feet in the sea of stars. But most of all, I'm sorry for all the little everyday moments of growing up I never got to share with you.
0: She paused again, wiping back the tears that were running freely from her eyes.
2: Things don't always turn out like what we want them to. I'm sorry for all the beautiful things we missed together. But I'm not sorry for all the pain and suffering in this world that you're going to miss. I know it hurt so much when you left, baby. For you and for me. But for you, that was the worst it will ever be.
0: She smiled again and fought to control her voice.
2: And I hope that where you are now, you can run and laugh and play In bright sunny fields where someone who loves you is always there to watch over you, I hope Abba sits you on his lap and sings for you all the lullabies that have ever been written and all the bedtime stories that there ever were. I hope that angels take you flying in the clouds and teach you how to paint a rainbow. And then, then I will look up in the sky and know,
0: she sobbed, caught her breath,
2: that it's so So much better for you than it is for me.
0: She said nothing for a while, just knelt there and wept, joy mixing with grief, smiles with tears. At last the sobs eased, and with deep, steady breaths she turned her face to the sky, the sun and clouds overhead mingling with the fluttering leaves.
2: I have to say goodbye for now, Darla. I know you're in a good place the place that's right for you. And now I have to go find the place that's right for me. I love you so, so very much, but I've been living in the day I lost you for three years, and it's time for me to go on. I need to go and find out who I am now, and I'll let you get on with being whoever Abba made you to be."
0: She closed her eyes and smiled.
2: So you go on and run in those fields, Listen to those stories and paint the rainbows, and someday I'll find you there.
0: She rose to her feet.
2: But for now, it's time for me to go and walk in the sunlight, too.
0: She kissed the tips of her fingers and pressed them to the face of the cold white stone. Then, turning, she stepped into the arms of her companions, and together they walked away, out into the dappled sunlight. Back with more of the Metamore City podcast right after these messages. Who in the heck is MA and PA? MA's a geek podcaster parent who's letting her flag fly and helping you to raise your next generation right. We're big geeks (laughs) and we love it. She's a single mom. She is gorgeous. MA talks books, movies, anime really, whatever she wants. She is brilliant. She is amazing. M.A.N.P.A. is a great podcaster, but she suffers from an embarrassing lack of leather. Did I mention she was hot? Who is M.A.N.P.A.? No one can tell you who M.A.N.P.A. is. She must be experienced. To be part of the M.A.N.P.A. experience, head on over to www.bl8tn.net. You should go there right now,
3: or else. Better late than ever, right? Have you ever wondered why New Zealanders are named after a small, furry brown fruit? Or if they really have to shave their toes? Or perhaps, is Wellington a suburb of Sydney? Well, if so, you need help. And I'm just the Kiwi chick to do it. Whispers at the Edge is a podcast by a New Zealand fantasy writer, me, Philippa Ballantyne. I'll give you the lowdown on Kiwi culture, so you know all about rugby, pavlovas, and what makes this country different. So rattle your dags and get on over to pjballantyne.net and subscribe. And after a while, you might even understand what I meant by that.
0: This is Christiana Ellis of Nina Kimberly the Merciless and Space Casey, and you're listening to the Metamore City Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back. Sorry, you'll have to give me a minute here. Every time I hear the end of that story, it makes me tear up a little. I'm just continually amazed at what an awesome job our actors did with that story. In order of appearance the cast of troubled minds is Brian Watson as cab driver and Brian, Heather Nowak as Abby Preston, Paulette Villad as Mother Annabelle, Cunning Minx of Polyamory Weekly as Jenna Hartman, Mur Lafferty as Trisha, Becky Viper as Clarice, Christiana Ellis as Fiona, and MA and PA as Rebecca. Now, some of you guys may recognize those last two names. Uh, Christiana Ellis is the creator of Nina Kimberly, the Merciless and Space Casey, and you just heard the promo for M.A. and show, Better Late Than Never. Get familiar with those names, folks, because you're going to be hearing a whole lot more from them in the very near future. I want to give a special thanks to composer David Beard, whose music was featured throughout most of this episode, including that beautiful piece at the end. That one is called Autumn Song, and it comes from his album Time for Change. You can find out more about David's music at www.davidbeardmusic.com. Now then, here's what's coming up on the Metamorph City podcast. Two weeks from now will be December 30th, and since that's in the middle of the holidays, I'm going to do a shorter episode. I'll read some feedback, play some voicemails if we've got any and I'll play the prologue for the first Metamore City novel, which is called Making the Cut. Two weeks after that, on January 13th, I'll be releasing Chapter 1 of the novel. Chapter 1 has a huge cast of voice actors, including Christiana Ellis, M.A. and P.A., Danny Cutler of the Truth Seekers podcast, Nobilis of Nobilis Erotica, and Leanne Mabry of Tag in the Scene. You won't want to miss it, folks, so be sure to pass the word to your friends that Metamore City is about to kick into high gear. That's all from me for this week. You can send us feedback at feedback at or leave a voicemail at 206-350-7333. Other than that, I wish you all a Merry Christmas or whatever other holidays that you celebrate this time of year, and I'll talk to you on the 30th. Keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. Some of the music on this podcast was provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Some sound effects were provided by SoundSnap at soundsnap.com, while others were provided by the Freesound Project, located at freesound.iua.upf.edu. Metamore City is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license. Find out more at creativecommons.org.